Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On today's episode of the podcast, I speak with Ed Park, the founder and CEO of NeuroReserve. NeuroReserve is a supplement company that's product is designed to prevent cognitive decline, basically a preventive measure for your brain. What a great conversation with Ed. He's such a wealth of information on brain health. I learned a ton about you know, the role of nutrition, how supplementation works, and just really got into his backstory, why he even got into this. I mean, he's got a PhD in chemical engineering, you know, some deep family history that led to this inspiration to create this product. But just learned a lot about what makes a healthy brain, what are some of the things to look out for, and how NeuroReserve can help. So if you're interested at all in maintaining good brain health, I think you'll really enjoy this podcast. So now on with the show. Ed, welcome to the Growth Pioneers podcast. It's uh, good to connect with you. Hey, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed our conversation earlier. I'm, I'm excited to, to learn more about your business and get a little bit more about your background. Excellent. Let's fire away. And this is helpful and, and, and useful uh, for, for your audience. Yeah. So you're the founder and CEO of NeuroReserve, which is a supplement company supporting brain health. Can you tell me, just give us kind of the quick pitch on the business and, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Well, NeuroReserve, what we are is we are a, a preventive health company. And uh, we focus in, in brain health, uh, specifically brain health as people age. And uh, the way we do that is through nutrition, as you mentioned. What is interesting, I guess, or differentiating about NeuroReserve is our approach in the sense that we are looking uh, to, to develop products that can help people reduce their risk of age-related brain diseases like Alzheimer's, like Parkinson's, and other types of dementias out there. And there are many others, actually. Most of them have many things in common, uh, and so there are different ways we can intervene from a nutritional standpoint to do that. And that's a big point there, and, and it kind of, when you start looking at it from age-related disease standpoints, what you end up having there is more of a, a company that leans and goes in the direction more of healthcare as opposed to maybe wellness, which is another great area to be in, actually. Yeah. Um, but it kind of pushes us more in that direction and it requires us to develop capabilities and pursue certain clinical research that kind of points us more on the healthcare side. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, such a timely subject. I mean, you've got an aging population. We're seeing, I would imagine, increases in, in these types of brain disorders as people get older. What was sort of the moment that kind of, or what was sort of the inspiration that got you into this field? And we'll, we'll talk more about what you do, but I, I'm curious, like, what was the impetus to get you into this? My family history is, is really the, the impetus. I mean, it is, it is personal experience. Uh, and um, like many people who are probably listening, I have family history in neurodegenerative disease. Now, my father had dementia. Uh, he also had Parkinson's disease. So he, and he was diagnosed early. And when I say early, I mean he was in his late 40s. Wow. And I was only, you know, early teenager. And so because he was diagnosed early, the trajectory, it's a long time now. And you know, we're talking, you know, it was 19 years uh, that he battled both of those kind of ailments uh, simultaneously. And the impact it had on my family I think we had spoken before, actually, about how things that we take for granted, they can all of a sudden just come to a head when you're faced with dilemmas in health. And for, for brain health in particular, dementias are particularly difficult on the caregivers. So watching my mother take care of him, literally not being able to leave the home. I mean, you know, in the early 2000s, 
there weren't as many resources out there are now, actually. Yeah. There, there weren't. Um, they, <laughs> we're getting better. Uh, but even now, caregivers are just stretched really thin. My mother wouldn't be able to leave the house. The type of dementia my father had was a hallucinatory type of dementia. It's called Lewy body dementia. And so you start to see things and hear things and experience things that are very real to you or very real to the patient. And so coming out of that reality that they have is, is extremely difficult and it leads to a lot of just paranoia. Most of it's frightening, um, yeah. not necessarily fun, um, these experiences or these, uh, these hallucinations that, that they have. So that makes managing and caring for a person with that very, very difficult. Oh, I can only imagine. I mean, I, I didn't even know that that was a possibility, honestly. So, it, gosh, I just feel for you and your family. I mean, that, you know, I can imagine you know, someone who's having frightening hallucinations, like how do you even reconcile that? And then, oh yeah, my, my, my dad used to always say, um, you know, there's, there's somebody up in the attic, there's people up in the attic and he would be just adamant about it. Now the question becomes, you know, of course we not knowing what to do, we'd be like, no, they're not, and we'd argue yeah. with him. Right. And that would just agitate him and make him extremely angry. Right. Yeah. Because like, why can you not see that? There are people in the attic and, or people right outside the window staring in to the house. And he would be trying to put newspapers and taping them on the windows just to prevent those people from looking in that he was seeing. So there are all sorts of stories that I'm sure many other people who go through this sort of, the families that, that go through this sort of dementia can relate. Just seeing the way my mother just loved him. Yeah, took care of him. Yeah, it's amazing. That's beautiful. I really appreciate your, you sharing that inspiration. I mean, I gotta, and it happens so young. I mean, did that inform your education? I mean, you have a PhD in chemical engineering, but kind of did this really inform your early, you know, your college experience? Or tell me a little bit about how. So it did, but in kind of an indirect way, right? So when, when I was in college, I did biomaterials research. So I started thinking in terms of health. So that's the indirect kind of piece of it. I started thinking, oh, health, health is important. Health is important. You know, I'm going to do some biomaterials research. And then, and then when I, when I did my master's and I started pointing more towards more chemical engineering and pharmaceuticals and, you know, things like that. And of course, as you mentioned, you know, my PhD is in chemical and, and biomolecular engineering. So it's uh, that's kind of like the training, if you will, for pharmaceuticals. And, and I got into that field in medicines after I finished uh, and did that for about 16 or so years in R&D. But the interesting thing here is, is that now anybody who has like sort of some sort of PTSD type experience would relate. Although that indirect health aspect made its way into my career, I was terrified of learning anything about neurology. Oh, interesting. So I, I did not want to know. Uh, and here's a strange dichotomy. I would be freaking out if I felt a twitch in my finger or something like that. And I run over the neurologist really quick. I go to the, do the appointment just to kind of like hoping that the neurologist would tell me, Ed, okay, like I did this clinical work on you. I don't know why you're here. Go home. Right. And so they would do that. And I'd be like, oh, and then I'd go and do my own thing. Right. But I would not want to learn about neurology and what my risk would be. Right. Yeah. That's, that's just scary to me. And so I was doing pharmaceuticals and other things, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, and in rare diseases and, yeah, and, and not necessarily not in neurology. And so, so for a long time, I was, I was like that. Yeah. yeah. I could say, you know, my brother went through uh, medical school and it did seem like everybody felt like they had the disorder that they were learning about at some point. There was some version of that, <laughs> but I can imagine watching, you know, this happen. You know, I, I just watched my stepfather, you know, go through prostate cancer. And, it, and it, there was definitely these aha moments of like, I didn't realize something like that could happen. And it's scary. It's really mm -hmm. scary. And so I can only imagine what that must've been like as, you know, a young man to see that. And then 
have some knowledge, but then also be facing that fear. I mean, what a what an experience. Yeah, yeah it's one of those things where uh, I kind of had to face it to some extent because I was having other actually medical issues about five years ago where I wouldn't basically... I was having some trouble doing you know, word finding, things like that. And that just started to really worry me. And energy also, just very fatigued under certain circumstances, but I couldn't figure out exactly pinpoint it. And I figured out a few things that helped a lot. And they happened to be nutrition. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, they were nutritional changes. And, you know, I went through a ton of doctors, you know, and things like that to just kind of isolate what's going on, what's going on. And it turns out I, you know, I have a certain type of autoimmune disease and that's, that's fine. I mean, it's not fine, but it's, it's okay. It's manageable, but you can manage it through nutrition, right? Very well. And a lot of the, you know, I, I got a huge benefit out of it. And I started thinking, shoot, nutrition is kind of powerful. And, you know, coming from pharma, you know, obviously being in pharma, you know, we think, oh, ph we're pharma. We know everything, right? You know, it's all about the drugs and we're, we're great. And, you know, nutrition's just kind of like this thing off to the side, but that was really eye-opening for me. And then of course I, you know, just being kind of midlife-ish, right? I started, I said, you know what? I, I really got to start thinking about my brain health and it really, and actually face it, like you're saying, yeah. face the fear. And I started reading about it. Finally, I finally started reading about it. And this was no more than five, six years ago. Okay. Yeah. So I just started finally reading about it and saying, where's the science at? What, what does the evidence tell us? Is there anything we can do about it? Or am I just kind of stuck? And one thing that I kind of, uh, that, got, that drew my attention was the nutrition side of that as well, because once again, being from pharma, you think in terms of, okay, what's, what's some sort of intervention that's kind of like oral or something like that. So I'm thinking nutrition, I eat it. And I said, wow, there is some, there's a small group of people out there, some researchers, you know, out of Rush University Medical Center, maybe Columbia University uh, down at Wake Forest. You know, there's, some, there's a small cadre of researchers out there that care a lot and do a lot of research in nutrition and how it could reduce risk of neurodegenerative diseases in the future. And they're getting more and more sophisticated at it. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is really neat. This is some, and you know, going to a couple of conferences, you know, and kind of like sitting down with them. I thought, wow, we can maybe do something and connect some dots and, yeah. and really start to do something from the nutritional side. So, yeah. I love that. What a beautiful entrepreneurial story. I mean, you have like this, you know, this really impactful experience as, you know, a young man. You have deep technical expertise in a field, but although tangential because of the fear and then, you know, your own experience then brings all that together. So you had to like turn towards it to face your fear. And then you found, you went on this path to create this product. I mean, I just, I mean, like that's a beautiful entrepreneurial arc. I love that creation story. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things that I never saw myself as an entrepreneur when I was in school, when I was, you know, I just thought, you know, I, I think we discussed this earlier, right? It was, it was about like, I was like, oh, pharma, you know, it kind of, okay, you know, they do a lot of science, you know, they kind of move slow, but they're thorough, you know, and I don't want to move too fast. And, you know, this is, this is good industry for me, you know, <laughs> but you weigh that sort of a perspective against later on, what are my life experiences? What happened to me? You know, what happened to my family? You know, why did that happen? And, you know, I, I believe it, it happened for a reason. And, we can't let our personal experiences go away without us sitting down and reflecting on them for a deep moment yeah. right? and thinking, why did this happen? What kind of skill set do I have? And is there something, you can call it karma, you know, it's God, right? You're just kind of saying, telling you, right? You're, okay, there are things here that you can do, I, you know, something you've been exposed to as a family and also some skills that you have 
you can either take that calling or you can not. Yeah. Yep. You know? And so, and so that's what made me, an, I guess, an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah, so. no, you've definitely taken the call. <laughs> so. I mean, you've taken the call. I mean, obviously you can, there are many things that, you know, sometimes you can refuse the call, but it, it sounds like in this case, you know, you, and that fuels this, it, it sounds like you opened up a whole, like now this is part of the fuel, just in our earlier conversations, this is kind of the fuel that drives the company. So what did you learn about, actually, let me go back to one thing. One of the things you said, I think it was so poignant, which is does my experience with our healthcare system and, and pharma in particular is like we have like a pill for a disease or a particular set of things, but it seems like there are not that many people that are looking at the more holistic system, right? And it feels like nutrition is more of a holistic system. Is that, is that how you would look at it or how would you, would you frame that differently or? Yes. Yes. I would say in most cases, uh, when we look at the just overall perspectives and attitudes and structure. Nutrition is kind of seen as a little bit more, not as rigorous as, say, pharma. What I've learned, though, is that actually there are things that are easy about pharmaceuticals in the sense that you're only testing one thing. Yeah. You know, that particular molecule that's been invented or synthesized, whatever, that is the one thing you're testing. So it makes the test article, if you will, is really easy, that sing single thing. When we're talking about nutrition, it's more complex. There's tons of variables involved. You got people out in the wild. And so therefore it's harder to see signal out of noise out of that, right? And so obviously sometimes people in particularly some segments of medicine just kind of look at it and say, oh, well, you know, they, they haven't figured it out yet, right? Yeah. And that's where some of these researchers I interacted with are now some, some of them are on the medical team that we have. They're managing through that and starting to see these signals through that noise. But there's there's something that we need to do as a company, and that that's it's a key piece of Neuro Reserve as our goal, right? Is there is this if you think of a Venn diagram on one circle over here on the left or right, depending on which, <laughs> you know, one circle here is is observational information, is prospective human nutrition studies. There's a lot of variability and there's a lot of complexity. Over here in the other circle is the pharma standpoint, and it's regimen-based, it's a single-point you know, intervention, and it's rigorous, it's reductionist, right? And so what we need to do is we need to land right in the middle of that, because over on the nutrition side, they deal in terms of diets, typically, and that's a whole mix of different nutrients, right? And that's the complex, where the complexity comes from. You got a diet on one side, you got a regimented intervention on the other. And we need to bridge that gap at NeuroReserve from a clinical standpoint. We need to do that. And that's going to be where the value's at. That is where value's at because then we can overcome some of these attitudes, you know, that come from either side. You know, on the nutrition side, some people say, oh, pharma is just all about, they're kind of like the evil, kind of like, yeah. you know, pharmaceutical company. On the pharma side, they're looking at nutrition going, well, they haven't figured it out yet, you know, but there's you know, there is that that point where we need to be, and that's that's going to be a very special place that we need to be at. Yeah, and I, I totally, I totally resonate with that. It's sort of like, I know this seems like a very reductionist thing, but it's sort of like peanut butter is great, chocolate's great, peanut butter and chocolate together, better. Yeah. <laughs> but but just, you know, I, I can appreciate the challenges, you know, of the scientific community. I mean, you know, double-blind studies, all this rigor, and how that might, you know, discount, and you have, also you have some of you know, some challenge of make people making false claims and nutritional supplements and all of those. So, so there's definitely some different headwinds that, you know, you face as a supplement company. But I think people, and I'm curious, I'll be curious what you think, but it, it feels to me like people are becoming 
more and more open to the idea of supplementation. I mean, I take Magic Mind, which is like a nootropic mm-hmm. um, yeah. coffee replacement thing. I, I swear by that stuff. They yeah. keep sending me sweatshirts because I'm such a good customer. <laughs> I don't, you know, they're not paying me, I swear. But Magic Mind is amazing. But, you know, and, and different supplements. It does feel like that's becoming more, I mean, I know it's a huge industry already, but it feels like it's creating some more legitimacy. Is that, has that been your experience? Yes, yes. And uh, not, not only because of the pandemic and, you know, obviously this, this massive surge of people who are looking for ways in which to um, just update their health status quickly to be able to stave off COVID and things like that. Brain health in particular is very primed for that, actually, right now. And brain health is very unique as a category of health in the sense that we are dealing with in brain health a, a disease that that takes a very, very long time to show. Uh, usually it takes for, you know, the scientific kind of consensus, I'd say, is 20 to 30 years of pathology or of things going wrong kind of in the background without of that growing before a diagnosable clinical symptom can show up, meaning some sort of cognitive impairment that the people actually can notice, right? Is that a function of the plasticity of the brain or just the complexity of the brain system or? Yeah, I'm not sure, you know, really, but it is a, a function of the buildup of some of these pathological molecules in the brain. Now, we don't know necessarily whether or not they're causative or associative or both, actually. Yeah. Cause or result or both, right? But they're growing and they're, they're basically building up in the brain over these, you know, a period of, of 20 or 30 years, whether or not it be a, a Lewy bodies like my dad had, or whether or not they be amyloid plaques, which would be for Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. There's always, you know, these sorts of pathologies that are building up in the brain. It's a long time scale before clear detection happens, right? Yeah. And the second, and so that, that makes it complicated and it pushes brain health into a mode where more and more, even the highest level, you know, physicians and things like that are starting to think we got to find a way to prevent this and hit it early as opposed to waiting because it's special in the sense that we don't have any good drugs, quite frankly, at all for dementias when it's diagnosed. By that time, you're kind of like, it's almost like saying you're at end stage cancer, right? You're you're stage four, basically. It's too kind of too late to turn it around. It would be a miracle kind of, but we can intervene earlier. And so that's one of the, that's a reason why the whole medical community, even the academic medical community, definitely, obviously, maybe, you know, the the holistic or or alternative medicine community, but mainstream medicine is even, is is turning, they've been turning in that direction for about five years. It's, It's been a slow train that's been starting to turn around. And I think that's why we have so much traction with being able to work with certain medical advisors in our company. And that's one way brain health is very unique. Uh, the other is that there's no there's no good markers for brain health either. It's not like you can get an A1C for diabetes or you can get an LDL or whatever for, for, for um, heart disease, right? So now we're battling that too. Wow. So there's two big things I heard, which is, you know, it happens over a slow progression. So you don't get to see anything until it's basically too late. By the time it shows up, you're already at like a stage four cancer, which is scary. And there's no real good markers along the way. So you're really, your best bet is prevention. Yes, is that, so- it really is. It really is the, the best bet. And that's why some of these researchers uh, at these different institutions that I mentioned earlier, they work in studies that where they're watching people, monitoring how they eat, and then they're large scale studies, like thousands of people, and then watch them for over 10 years in many cases, right? Because they're trying to see who's diagnosed, who's not, whether or not it be Alzheimer's, whether or not it be Parkinson's, whether or not it be another type of dementia, and then draw out 
what was their dietary pattern, and then from that dietary pattern, drill down to what kinds of foods and, and nutrients that are relevant to the brain they took in. And there's databases that you can look at to, to basically match up and say, oh, wow, this is a brain-relevant nutrient that was uh, lacking in, in that person's diet, you know, compared to the, compared to the high achievers who go, live, live very old with very good brains, you know? Yeah. So, so, gosh, so many questions. This is such a fascinating conversation. So, I mean, part of the general strategy of a supplement is I'm not getting something that I need in my diet or not enough of it. And so I want to take, so like for me, you know, for whatever reason, genetically, I don't, vitamin D isn't produced very well. So I have to take like 10,000 IUs just as oh, wow. a normal round, which is a lot. Okay. That is a lot. Yeah. So I supplement to keep, and it seems like that, that works out fine, but so that's the general strategy of supplementation. And that's true in the case of neuroreserve or, or any of these brain health, right? You're not getting something in your diet or you're not getting enough of your diet or, you know, your diet involves too much McDonald's and Popeye's, which is <laughs> the latter is more my weakness. And so I need to take a lot of, I need to supplement. Yeah. Is that, is that the general strategy? That's the attitude. Absolutely. That, that's a general, that's a general thinking. Now, our approach was to look at it. So as I mentioned before, there are no really, really good markers to look at for dementia risk or, you know, rapid cognitive decline risk in the future, right? And so, like, let's say for your case, vitamin D, like we know vitamin D is important. You're not getting enough of it. You're perennially low in it. So you need to supplement it, right? What are the specific ones for dementia, right? We don't, we don't necessarily know in the going, you know, going forward. So what do we do? We look at people's overall diets. And there was a great study that was done. It's really the basis of which many other studies came out of that we started assessing. And that's called the MIND diet study that was done by Martha Claire Morris over at Rush University Medical Center. And she said, okay, kind of like what you're saying, what are the food groups that people are eating that who can consistently live long with really healthy brands? And what are they not eating too, yeah. right? And then we drill down and we say, okay, what brain relevant nutrients are in those foods and then we and then we go ahead and screen against which ones have adequate clinical and epi, epi data to support putting it into a product, right? And so in, in many cases, it's not necessarily trying to replete a specific nutrient. It's more so trying to mimic a diet. We're trying to mimic a diet that we know is very beneficial for the brain. It could reduce the risk of Alzheimer's by over 50%. It could reduce the risk of Parkinson's symptoms by over 40%, right? We know that that data keeps coming. So what we're trying to do is create a diet mimicking nutritional intervention. Got it. You can so intervene that way. So It's like blue zone in a pill. Like if I could like create like a blue kind zone. Kind of like blue zone for brain in a pill. Kind of like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. yeah. Makes, uh, that makes perfect sense for me. So what are some of those things? I mean, what have you found are the, for brain health? I mean, you know, I don't, you don't need to give me your proprietary yeah, yeah. formulation or anything, <laughs> no. but like what, you know, what are you, or maybe, yeah, what are good, you know, I want to, I'd love to have a laundry list of what all the bad things are is like, you know, Popeyes and, and alcohol and all these things. But like, well, you know, tell me a little bit about the good and the bad. What have you learned about what are the things for, for brain health? Yeah. So at the diet level for brain health, what you really need to do is you, you have to specifically dark green leafy vegetables. Hmm. Okay. That, that's uh, when you're talking about maybe kales or spinaches, things like that. That's something that we definitely don't get enough of. Um, uh, most of the country is profoundly deficient um, in their intake of um, leafy green vegetables. Uh, so 
that's one. Berries is another. So, and I, and I can get it, I can probably trace through each one, but backing up again to leafy green vegetables, you know, there are certain nutrients in them like lutein and zeaxanthin and also magnesium that are phylloquinone, which is a certain type of vitamin K that are very rich in them. And also some flavanols. So this, these are phytonutrients that, again, some excellent researcher at Rush University has, is revealing that flavanols as a class of molecules, and I know that's a big mouthful, but they are very, very potent in risk reduction for neurodegenerative disease. And, and those are like a camphorol, I'm not sure if people have heard of that, but camphorol, maricitin, and also quercetin. Some people might have heard of quercetin because, you know, it's also being found to be very effective as, as a COVID prophylactic, right? So there's there's that. Berries, and once again, berries are very important because the dyes in them. So the dyes in, in them are dark, vibrant, you know, kind of violets and, and reds, and, and those are called anthocyanins. Those happen to be quite brain protective. Wow. So, and great research out of USDA over at Tufts University, that's kind of a combined USDA kind of center over there. That's their specialty. You know, they're all about berries. They're all about anthocyanins. And so, so we made sure, you know, that there are components of that, you know, in, in our first product that we, that we had launched. And then, you know, I'll just trace through a few other foods that are important, you know, like olive oil, very important, obviously extra virgin. So it's, it's so, so it retains most of its um, phytonutrients or we call them polyphenols. They're, they give it that very sharp almost like spicy, bitter taste, right? Those are like, you know, those, those are the nutrients if you're tasting them literally in there. Nuts, okay, so nuts and legumes, like beans especially. So because they're, they're extremely good at making sure that we don't get diabetes because diabetes is a big risk factor yeah. for neurodegenerative disease. So obviously the fiber and beans do a great job of smoothing out blood sugar spikes. Well, that was going to be one of my questions actually around this. So Immediately as you're sitting here talking, I'm like doing the calculus on where I'm falling short. No, <laughs> sir, no, I, 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 like, I, I had a horrible diet. I had to fix a lot of things in my diet. Now I'm, I'm not there yet. But my wife is very, you know, she, she, you know, has one of these like $500 juicing machines that does all this stuff. And, you know, we don't, she doesn't put a lot of sugar in it. I mean, you know, she has some apple and everything, but, you know, tons of that. But one of the challenges that was presented to me was like, hey, you know, that, that can spike your blood sugar. So how do you balance, you know, like when you're thinking about this, how do you balance, I guess if you're eating just a bunch of kale, which is difficult to do in my experience, like juicing, it makes it easier, mm -hmm. but do you, you know, it sounds like if you juice that with beans, you can kind of balance that. Is that, is that, yeah. So tell me a little bit about oh, juicing yeah, and your thoughts on that. I'm not good for juicing because I tend to get like that spike and I can feel it. Yeah. It's, you know, juicing is tough in that respect because uh, you're basically pre-digesting. Is what you're doing right before you, you intake so that maybe if you, if you lighten up on the blending a little bit you know maybe yeah. <laughs> or, oh yeah it it, she makes it like a soup it's thicker now like i keep going yeah that way there's a little bit more bulk there that kind of holds it in you know especially if she's putting in all that good stuff right rather than grinding it down you know or i, I don't know how the juicer works whether or not it's a blending type or whether or not it's more like a press type or whatever it's but, a it's a so. oh, there's a word for it where it just grinds i mean it does it's funny she does a lot of that stuff yeah but i mean we mm -hmm. go through a lot of greens right and so it mm -hmm. But, you know, it sounds like how you get them is important also and not to like, you know, it, is there any kind of data that shows that the blood sugar issues are worse for your brain? I mean, I would imagine that that's like you're trying to balance those two things. So, yeah, I mean, definitely. Okay. First, I would say, hey, if you're getting the greens, you're just juice and you're getting, you're getting all these other good things, by all means, juice. I mean, there's yeah. far worse <laughs> things that we can be doing, right? So, so absolutely keep doing that. As far as just managing blood sugar, that's a huge issue. Totally. Um, yeah, it's a huge issue for the brain, actually, because the brain is 
only two, three percent of our body weight, but it burns 25% of our energy. I mean, we, this thing is our brain pointing in my head here is hungry. It is just, it's just burning through, through all sorts of calories. So it's constantly need of energy. And the more insulin resistance we build up with blood sugar spikes, right? The less able the brain is able to process the glucose it needs to run itself, right? And so that's why you have a situation where people, um, they have diabetes and they have they have insulin resistance. So now the sugar can't go into the cells because the insulin can't ferry it in anymore, right? So the blood's just stuck on the outside, flowing around in our bloodstream, right? Adding to our blood sugar levels, right? And the brain's starving out, right? And so then you start to have some, you know, dysfunction, you know, in, in cognition, and eventually it could turn into a dementia one day. So, and you start to see some of these ideas of, you know, okay, let's try to maybe find another type of fuel source for the brain. If you've already gone into like an insulin resistant situation, like maybe yeah. like a, you know, moving the brain into ketosis and using some ketone bodies instead. Right. But, you know, we'd rather just kind of not go there and just yeah. be able to stave it off. So diabetes is a, is a huge thing, but like I was saying, you know, if you're juicing some great stuff, yeah. you know, please it's, juice it. Um, you know, it's good. I just, I I'm always looking for yeah, helping my wife or helping both of us. But I, so I appreciate that. So what are you, you know, going back to NeuroReserve, I mean, what's a regimen? Like what, what's your hope with NeuroReserve? So if I, you know, I, what type of products do you have? Like a line of products? Tell me a little bit about the products you have and what yeah. and how they work. So Relevate is the name of our first product. And yeah, and we launched that in, in 2021. And it's our first product. It's our only product right now. And it is basically, as I mentioned before, it is meant to mimic to help people mimic the nutritional profile of the mind diet. So we can call that a broad spectrum neuroprotective uh, nutrition, nutritional product. And we approached it first broadly because we do have a big problem in this country, in North America in general, and it's spreading across the world too, as our eating culture spreads across the world as well. There are some of those things that we don't want to have too much of that we do, right? And that obviously processed foods, ultra-processed foods, which are basically, as mentioned, as mentioned before, kind of pre-digested, right? You're not letting it digest at that rate at which, you know, it should be doing digesting if you chew your food, right? So there's ultra-processed foods, there's way too much sugar, right? Yeah. There is, you know, obviously fried foods and, you know, they call it advanced glycation end products, you know, so these, these kind of like bad things that come out of frying, you know, and things like that, right? So all those are, you know, highly inflammatory and can contribute uh, to some of the pathologies. And so so the mind diet staves that off um, with that uh, certain type of, of food set and everybody needs it to some extent. And so what we wanted to do when we first sat down to design and started the design process was, okay, we just need to handle this problem first. And, uh, and it's broad, so let's go ahead and design to the mind and fill the gaps. That, you know, if we looked at our dosing regimens um, in each, for each one of our nutrients, uh, what we did is we looked at the highest achievers that basically data was saying, this is how much they take in and they live a long time with very healthy brains. And this is where the SAD is, right? The standard American diet is for this particular nutrient. And now what's the gap? And then we go, went ahead and dosed that way. Oh, so, interesting. So what we did is we took an approach where we developed what we call diet-informed or diet-achievable dosing, which means that we didn't want to give mega doses of anything. Uh, this is meant to be an everyday tool for people to mimic that diet. Now, in the future, though, there are problems that are very specific to people's genetics or people's experiences. And so... So that's, that's where, we'll be, where we'll be heading next, um, actually. So when it comes to certain genetics, there are like some people have 
heard of this being called the Alzheimer's gene, but there's a genetic a gene uh, called APOE, and there's there's APOE2, APOE3, and APOE4. And so they've got these numbers to them. And it's a fat processing molecule, we can say. And whenever people get an APOE4, everybody gets two of them. So you can get an APOE2 and an APOE3, and that's your pair. And would this show up on my 23andMe or whatever my it will you know, yeah run if, of the if, mill if you ask DNA test. Okay. if you ask for it yeah okay. it, it will so you can see that oh I'm APOE three APOE three that's what most people actually are they're double threes okay and then some people might have a four some people might have two fours right so a double hit right anybody who has an APOE four either a single or a double right are at elevated risk of Alzheimer's disease at some point in their life they have one APOE4 allele, they call it, then it, the, that risk may triples. If you have two alleles in the pair, then basically for women, it could increase their risk by 12-fold. All right. So it's a big increase. So the interesting thing is I mentioned APOE is, is a fat, fat processing molecule. It also tends to age the brain in certain ways faster compared to APOE3 or 2, right? So here's some really interesting genetics here. But there is an advantage to APOE4. So interestingly enough, people with APOE4 tend to be much faster learners and achievers academically and things like that when they're younger, but the brain ages faster, right? And it's when, like a star that burns so bright and hot at the beginning, it just burns out quicker. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic like that. But anyway, so as the brain ages a little bit faster in, in certain ways, as I mentioned, that can be attacked through nutrition. Actually, that's one of those things. I mean, sometimes you just have to go after it with a drug. But in this case, this is something that could be attacked through nutrition. And so we're, you know, we, we look at genetics as part of our pipeline. And we're also looking at certain conditions, you know, whether or not they be condition specific in, in the sense that chemotherapy induced cognitive impairment is a big issue. You know, chemotherapy attacks everything. I mean, obviously it attacks the cancer harder uh, than it does the normal cells, but it does injure the normal cells. And that doesn't exclude the brain as well. So there's different conditions in which are traumatic brain injury, right, that we could potentially address nutritionally. And uh, actually, both of those can. Uh, so, so those areas we're looking at it from a pipeline standpoint as well. So that's great. So you have, you know, your first product. And say, what's the name of the product? Again? It's called Relevate. Relevate. So Relevate is more of a broad spectrum. It's kind of, it's applicable for everybody probably on a Western diet, unless you're, yep. mm-hmm. you know, like a hyper aware vegan, whatever, you know, <laughs> legume kale <Yeah. laughs> person, which is great. So, but that you know has broad relevance. And what I heard is, as your company grows and develops, you're going to have some more specific interventions. And you, know, you said before, there's no, there's no real markers, but it does, it does sound like there's some, if you had the AOE4, or APOE4, right? oh, yep. APO4 mm-hmm. would you, you know, would you perceive that as a higher risk and would you do something specific? I mean, would you go look at that? Sort of like, you know, I had a friend of mine who's got the BRCA genes and she had already had a round of cancer. And then when she realized she had BRCA two gene or whatever, whatever the marker was, she had a, you know, she had her breast removed and a hysterectomy preventively. Oh, oh, preemptive. Preemptively, which was not a small thing to do, as you can imagine. But it sounds like, you know, maybe there's an opportunity here with this APA. Maybe for, yeah, to intervene basically early. Right. And, And there is, yeah. So there are certain risk factors like, like that, that we know they're, they're pretty clear. Now the question becomes, okay, what is the right lifestyle to live as an APOE for carrier. And there, there are plenty of things that, that people can do. 
Yeah. So, so actually to go back to something I said earlier, yeah, when I said, I think I said there aren't any good markers yet for Alzheimer's or other types of dementias. And actually what I meant to say was comparing it against maybe cardiovascular sure. disease where you have the LDLs or the, um, it's very easy to look at, right? And also diabetes where you have A1C, very easy to look at, right? There's still a lot of debate, right? On the Alzheimer's and dementia side of what is that right marker? But from a genetic standpoint that we just talked about, absolutely. You look at that and you go, oh, I got APOE4. Okay, yeah. I'm going to do these things to be really vigilant about my brain health because I just got to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm taking care of my brain more than typical person. So, and those are sleep, exercise, diet and nutrition. Obviously, that's where we come into play. And then there's you know, some other factors like maintaining relationships with people and cognitive training. And finally, just making sure you control your heart disease and your diabetes, right? Yeah. Things like that. What do, you know, when I talk to coaching clients and my, my EO buddies, we talk about getting your meds in order. So like M is usually meditation, but it could be mindset. So meditation, mindset, exercise, diet, and sleep are, you know, getting that whole thing together. And then it sounds like obviously there's other, the social, emotional of good relationships, all of those things. So they all play a factor in brain, brain health. health. Yeah. Yeah. That's what um, the consensus is starting to land at. There's something at the Cleveland Clinic called the six pillars of brain health. And those, and those are, I literally just walked through them, you know, a moment ago and you walked about four of them just now, right? So those are that, you know, the diet and nutrition, exercise, sleep, maintaining social connections or relationships that is, and then, uh, and then making sure you're cognitively fit uh, make sure you're learning and pursuing curiosity and basically making sure that you're either exercising or building new capabilities yeah. in your brain. And then finally, there's there's managing those other conditions that could be risk factors. But I heard, you know, one of my uh, med advisors over at Rush University, he has this great way of putting it it's from the cognitive training standpoint. And he said, you yeah, remember when we were in school and elementary school, let's say, go back that far, right? We're in elementary school. We're learning something new every day at literally mathematically or reading wise or whatever, or learning like, you know, the colors of different types of birds. We are learning something every single day. It's relentless, right? It's like, okay, today we learned how to add. Next day, we're going to learn how to subtract. Next day, we're going to learn how to do division, multiplication. We're going to geometry. Oh, hey, let's do a differentiation here. Let's integrate. Let's, oh, oh my, all of a sudden linear algebra. Like what the things are happening and you're learning at a constant rate through college and all that. And then it ends and we go into our, our regular life, our, our career, right? And all of a sudden, all those things that we did, we start to rely a lot more upon our social skills, our ability to manage, our ability, you know, things like that. And we don't necessarily, we aren't necessarily pounding ourselves in our brain with, oh, can I do that math really fast? Or, oh, can I comprehend and read through all these books and things like that? It's just kind of like, you know, we just go, go into our daily life for a lot of people. And that's something where we realize that the brain actually, as we grow older, we're not cognitively training it as well. So that's an area that's just, I, I found it interesting the way he put it that way because I, uh, putting it that way, because I thought, yeah, you know, I, I guess I do a lot of these same things every day and yeah, but it's, it's kind of like the same thing every day. Yeah. You know, it's not like I'm learning a new concept in math or something. I remember the moment when I realized it's really important to be a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I, there, there was definitely a period out of college to some period, I can't remember how many years where I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, you're learning new things, whatever, but like to actually shift to like, no, 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 learning is forever. And that's something that I need to prioritize. 
and yes. you know, just hearing how you know how important that is. It, I feel like maybe everybody doing Wordle and you know Sudoku yeah. and stuff like that. That's all good. Do you have any data on? I mean, I'm a huge meditator or fan of meditation. Like it's a big part of my daily practice. Has there been any studies or things that have, you know that link meditation to brain health? Like have you? Are you familiar with any of those studies, or is that outside of your purview? Oh, I think it's a it's a little outside of my purview. Although uh, it's, I mean, it's just so important, you know, <laughs> just to uh, make sure that we can calm ourselves and and clear our minds, and then be able to then prioritize, you know, for the day, especially when things are coming at us fast. So I'll get into that in a second. But like from a learning standpoint. You know, when I was saying you got to, we got to force ourselves to learn all, th- all sorts of things. Entrepreneurship is, man, this is a, this is a constant avalanche of learning. It's like being on the uh, tip of a rocket ship. Yeah, it's on the tip of a rocket ship. And that's okay. If you, if you want to keep up with your, you know, tr- learning new things, go start a company. You know, do you want to do like task switch like seven times in a day? And back again, you know, anywhere from a finance issue to a scientific issue to a marketing issue to a fine, you know, do that. You're going to, you're going to learn a lot. That also leads to just a lot of things and a lot of issues and a lot of thoughts just filling, you know, filling the brain and not necessarily structured either all the time. And so, so, I mean, I, I can't see anything but positivity coming from meditation, prayer, just sitting <laughs> and, and taking a little time. And it's so hard, especially when people have families and you know, kids or you know, whatever. So. Yeah. So let me ask you that, though, about stress. Like, what's the data show about stress? Because on one hand, like, you know, being an entrepreneur is an amazing experience for learning. And it's also really amazing at generating stress. So is there any data? Again, I'm not I'm a huge advocate of entrepreneurship. I'm just curious, like, what is the are there deleterious effects of stress? Is there good stress, bad stress? Do you anything about that? So for stress, and I think this is where the meditation comes in, actually. Thanks for bringing it up. And it's a sense that, okay, meditation is a stress management, you know, technique. Obviously, that's... That's that's really, one of the benefits, for sure. Yeah, one of, the, one of the benefits. It's a huge benefit in the sense that what stress does is, of course, everybody knows, or at least most people who kind of like read into it a little bit, they know that it's usually accompanied by an increase in cortisol. Yeah. Yeah. And what that does, obviously, is it, is it interferes with your, our circadian rhythms. And also, by the way, mechanistically, it shrinks our brains. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Cortisol it, do, it, does, it does damage to the brain in the long run. So chronic stress uh, is, uh, is, is not a good thing in that respect. And that's where I think, yeah, you hit it on the head. And meditation, any other stress management approaches are very helpful for that. Yeah. Well, I heard a metaphor, which I thought was really interesting about, you know, like your brain is like, you know, it's a tool, right? And so like, if you're a lumberjack, your primary tool is your ax, right? And then if you wake up in the morning, you sharpen your ax and you chop through wood and like one swing, you can chop through wood. But if you keep chopping all day, eventually the tool gets a little dull. So you can keep chopping or you can take a break and sharpen your tools. So this is a mm-hmm. metaphor for, for meditating. So you meditate or do some other kind of form of stress reduction, which is actually sharpening the axe. So for yeah. the rest of your day, you can chop yeah. through it. It's, rege- it's regenerative. You know, it's not just, yeah, it's not just like a stress reduction stopping the swinging. It's it's, regener- it's regenerative, you know? Yeah. 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 This is a super fascinating conversation. I really enjoy where we're going and learning all about this. So tell me a little bit more about what's next for your company. Well, actually, I you know, and we'll put this in the show notes. But if I want to buy your product, I can go to neuroreserve.com, which is n e u r o r e s e r v e dot com, and I'll put that in the show notes. But yeah, 
So what is, and the f- first product again, tell me the name of it again. It's called Relevate. Relevate. Maybe I need to take some of it so I can remember the name of the product. <laughs> yeah. So we, I think we landed at it and we were debating it. And it was like, okay, we're going to elevate the most relevant nutrients for the brain. Oh, rele- Relevate. Relevate. Okay, let's let's go. With I like it. it. I like it. I'm just in the stream of consciousness. I'm like, okay, I got to make sure and get it right. Is it like a, how many supplements do you take? Is it like three pills? Is it twice a day? Like how, how do you actually take the product? Yeah, it's, it's a regimen of three units a day. So it's one soft gel, which houses uh, our fat-soluble nutrients because okay. that aids in their absorption. Okay. So if, if they're kind of dissolved in their native oils, they'll be absorbed better as opposed to taking them dry. So we have a one soft gel, which is really dark violet color. It's anthocyanins, like we mentioned before, that, that color it and it's natural. So one soft gel and two capsules that have dry components in them per day. So it's one soft gel, two capsules a day. And uh, what we do is we package it into a 30-day supply. Got it. Yeah. And are they they're individual packs, kind of like a tear pack type thing, or they're in a... Actually, we they're not. They're in a bottle and they're mixed together. So they're all kind of like thrown in there together. So we, when we were about to launch our product, we did a survey, right? You know, yeah. What would you prefer? You know, and at first we were thinking, maybe do we have two bottles, one for the soft gel and one for the yeah. dry capsule? And, and, and people were like, no, that's wasteful. We're like, yeah, we get it. And then we said, well, what do we, what do we put them in a daily pack? Like each one of the, th- those three units in a pack each day. And people were like, no, that's, that's wasteful too. And we're like, Okay, so what if we just chose? What if we just threw it all together in one? They're like, we like it. You know, it's, <laughs> so, it's interesting. There's some, you know, there's a company locally, OK Capsule, that packages those 30 day packages. Oh, and okay. they are yeah. the the plastics are biodegradable. But I, I get that oh. it is very convenient. I have to say to have the tear packs. Yeah, good but, for travel too. Yeah. yeah, good for travel. But I can see both. But that's pretty easy. So I. Is it best taken in the morning, in the evening? Does it matter? For most people, anytime. And we've had some reports of people who say, I like to take it in the morning. But basically, it's built for anytime. I I take mine with my dinner, you know, in the the early evening. And the reason why is because one of the components in in our product is a catechin component that comes from green tea. Right. So that what well, we needed to decaffeinate that basically to make it yeah. useful for people who are. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm very sensitive to caffeine. Like so, if I even too. smell coffee, yeah. it kind of ramps me up. So, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. why I like that uh, magic mind. But anyway, it's only. Yeah, that's right. No, I know. I know. Yeah. It's, it's uh, the, I, oh, I didn't even know they put caffeine in it, actually. So. From matcha. But, oh, yeah. But, yeah. It'll come in from matcha. Yeah, that's so, right. But I should have asked you this earlier, but what is the difference in your mind between like supplement and a nootropic? Like, I know that comes up a lot. This is, this, you're really, this is a supplement, right? Like this is. I'd say, okay. So okay, from a terminology standpoint, you know, this is just the way I think is that supplements can be either a nootropic, you know, or it could be a, a nutritional intervention, right? Got it. Okay. That's, that's the way I like it. They can both be supplements though, because they would both be classified by FDA as a dietary supplement. It's the intent behind them. That's different, right? So nootropics, you know, are meant for, okay. It's almost like I need a coffee substitute, right? Coffee's not right for me, but I'd like a way to uh, be able to help, at least on a daily level, focus better or maybe think clearer or more calmly, right? And that might be the more nootropic side of things, right? And that's the intent there. Whereas, you know, of course, it's, when we think about, you know, neuro reserve and, you know, relevant things like that, we're thinking in terms of a nutritional intervention, right? Which is a longer term disease kind of focused or disease prevention or avoidance type of risk reduction type of tool, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, but they're both dietary supplements classified as such. Yeah. So, but actually that leads me to another question, which is, you know, on a nootropic, you know, I can, I take it and I know that I've taken it. 
right? And on something like this, I'm taking it with the hope that it's going to prevent something from happening. So I don't have a real felt experience of if it's working or not. Like, how do you educate and overcome that? You know, like- There's a lot of education, yeah, because there is so much emerging data, you know, on dietary patterns, on nutritional profiles that can protect people over time. Everyone who's really serious about their brain health or really, and, and maybe have had the kind of family experience that I've had, and there are there's a lot of people out there you know, in the country who have had this, this dementia experiences in their families. So they're hungry for that information, yeah. right? And so a, a big piece of, from an educational standpoint, and I'm, I'm very pleased with the, the level of material that, that we put out at, at Neuro Reserve, whether or not people are even customers or not, actually. Um, it's, I feel like it's top-notch. We're keeping people up on the latest data and we're showing them different ways in order to live a brain-healthy life outside of nutrition as well because at the end of the day, it's going to be a combination of things and nutrition is going to be a piece of it, an important piece, but it's not going to be the only piece, you know? So from the education standpoint, there's a lot of education that, 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 that we're uh, sending out to people. And uh, m- most people, when they look at, if they're considering Neuro Reserve and, and, and Relevate and our products, they're people that have either had a family experience or uh, with dementia, or they see it in their friends now, kind of thing. They, they, they've seen it in an acquaintance and, and it's happening. And maybe they're, they're a little bit on the senior side, right? And they've seen it. But that doesn't preclude the fact that there are responses immediately. So, the, like, I say, well, like a little over half are you know, people who use Relevate, they're coming back and saying, and we did a user experience study, you know, early in 2022. And there's a lot of different, you know, uh, responses that are happening almost right off the bat. And the reason why is because I think a lot of people are very deficient in some or a set or almost all the nutrients that are in Relevate. Yeah. Yeah. So they're going to feel that no matter what. And it's going to build and basically essentially their baseline as far as energy, mental fatigue, or some of the standard almost nootropic type things, you know, like being able to focus and concentrate you know, for a sustained amount of time or you know, things like that. They're feeling that as well. And that's great. That's you great. It keeps, in, which, I mean, I'm sold. I'm, I'm buying some as soon as we get off the... So, oh, no, don't worry. I got some on my back for you. <laughs> oh, perfect. That's amazing. So, I, I really appreciate it. I just, I'm like, I, I'm done. You know, um, you know I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm 48. I'm feeling, you know, energy depleted. I mean, I do a lot. You know, I take supplements, but I don't really have anything that's specifically for brain health. And of course, that's the one thing that, well, one of the most, it's the most powerful tool of our yeah. system. It's easy so. to, take adva- to take, take it for granted too, because we just kind of you know, yeah. we wake up in the morning. We can't look at we can't look at our brain like we can look at our muscles and go, oh, they're kind of getting weak. I got to yeah. work out. Kind of thing. I'll do. I, I will. You know. You know. I feel like I'm pitching mindfulness meditation, but I mean, I do feel like you know, having a strong mindfulness practice gives you a pretty good sense of your inner landscape. I mean, I, I have a pretty good baseline of what that is. Now, cognition is a different animal. Right? It's more. You know, can I? Can I pay attention to the uh, emotional storms and the, the physical elements of that? But Yeah, can I take know, in information and put it down on yeah. paper now, like memorizing a phone number, things like that? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's harder to measure. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how to measure my cognitive function. There are lots of tests out there. We could spend like five podcasts <laughs> on those. So. so what's next for your company? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for doing business in Nevada. Like, I, I you know, you're a yes. Las Vegas-based startup company. You're funded by the Reno Seed Fund. Like, yeah. that makes you Nevada through and through. So thank you for, for building your company here in Nevada. Oh yeah. You know what? Thank you to Nevada because 
like, that's okay. So my mother, so I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay area and then I went to grad school and stuff like that out on the East coast. And then I was living out there for a while. And then my mother, she's done, she's retired. So she moved from the San Francisco Bay area. She sold the house because everybody, you know, can sell their house for a lot over there nowadays. And then moved out here to Las Vegas. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's living there on her own. And now she's, you know, she's 82 now, but 2014, she moved out there. And I was like, okay, that's, that's great. But she's on her own, you know, and she's very independent, but at some point she might want somebody around. And that was around the same time around 2018, right? I was just thinking, well, I'm going to start this company. Okay. Well, I'm just going to move over there. You know, and my wife's like, okay, so we're going to eject ourselves out of Boston and move over there. And uh, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think this is good. And so, so we move over, but the thing about Nevada, and so, so that's the impetus, right? But the thing about Nevada, which is very neat, is that they have in Las Vegas, the Cleveland Clinic Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. Yeah, uh, that's great. Excellent research, a clinical center of excellence in brain health because of that growing retirement population. Now, now Nevada has the second fastest 65 and over population growth in the country. And it's because of all the people migrating in. Yeah. Which is kind of a pro and a con for pro economic con, yeah. development. But that's a whole other side. We'll, yeah, we'll go there. Yeah. But yes, that's good. That it's- but we, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, know, I can see you just cringing going, oh, you know. Uh, but we, we need the, the kind of tools, capabilities, and infrastructure to handle that. The Lou Ruva Center was literally uh, yeah. made for that because of the need there. And also the, the Chambers Grundy Neuroscience Center over at UNLV. And so being able to build upon that infrastructure with NeuroReserve, I think, is, is great. And yeah. uh, and being able to manufacture here in Reno with some marketing here, and also HQ in Las Vegas, you it's truly great. are a state company. I didn't so, realize that you had operations up here as well. Oh yeah, yeah. We we manufacture um, our, our our dry capsule here, which is our obviously a key component and wonderful facility. But yeah, so Nevada through and through. And I, I the only debate here is you know my my wife she came and visited Reno this past summer. And we went, we went there, for, you know, we went, we came here and then we visited Reno and then we went to Lake Tahoe for a couple of days and came back and she's like, look at the mountains, look at like, oh, wow, maybe should we move here and stuff like that. But my mom's in Las Vegas and she, you know, so now I'm feeling some pressure to move to, like, yes. to Reno and, you know. You know where my loyalty lies. However, <laughs> I do have lots of good friends down in Las Vegas that are, you know, they're doing amazing things in the startup community and you're in a good place down there. I mean, I think that, I think you can't go wrong at either one of the metros in the state for building your company. And yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. excited for where you're going next. I mean, so what what's kind of the next big push for NeuroReserve? The big push this year, I mean, obviously, of course, it's getting the word out, you know, you know, growing Relevate as a brand uh, from a commercial standpoint. And we continue to do that. Big moves this year clinically. That is the way in which we move medicine, right? All those physicians, some of whom are kind of skeptics, things like that. That's how you move medicine. That's a key differentiator for us and a key big goal. You know, if we're not going to, if we're going to do an entrepreneurship thing, we're going to do a startup. It has to be big, right? We have to have a big goal or else why do it at all? You know, because there's so much risk involved, lots of people getting involved, having to help out. You know, this is, you got to go big. And the big part of that is making sure that we move relevant, given our, our current data that we have now from the field and from the market and moving it into the clinic in, in different variations or forms, things like that, and moving it into some of these more kind of grant-based, high-quality proof-of-concept studies and, and going there to, to long-term studies. And and when I mentioned that, I mentioned mentioned this to you earlier, it's, it's, it's a model that we're following. And, and it's a model that was built out in iHealth. 
uh, where two small companies, you know, they, they started connecting the dots. There was just enough data out there that they could develop a product. And they, you know, one of them called it Occuvite. And then eventually after they had enough data and enough practical use, all of a sudden, oh, wow, we can run a big study with it that captures the attention of companies like Bausch & Lomb, big companies, and eventually they get bought by them. But what what's really facilitated things was that led to NIH-level studies, and that's where we want to go. We want to go to big, large-scale, long-term studies. That's a long process, uh, but along the way, you build some amazing value and you move medicine. That's what we want to do, move preventive medicine in this case. Yeah, so. which, I, which I really appreciate that approach. I mean, you know, there are big brands, people that really understand marketing that are probably mm-hmm. hawking things that maybe have, maybe they're effective, maybe they're not. I mean, I, but yeah. I do appreciate- And I, I admire them a lot, actually. And some people are very good at building brands. That's an immense skill um, that I've learned to appreciate a lot, actually. Uh, but you were saying, yeah. Well, so, no, but I mean, it, it definitely is one of those things where, I mean, you know, obviously as a direct consumer, brand and market matters. I mean, you have a scientific background and it, I like what you're talking about, your model of like building that credibility. At the end of the day, you know, how do you get the customers out there or the consumers to connect with it. And, but I, I appreciate the doctor connection, right? I think that, that will is, have some lasting impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eventually getting brain nutrition, these sorts of interventions into, if you, you want to maybe call it the standard of care or mainline medicine, that's really the shift we want to go towards because there's always going to be um, complementary alternative medicine, functional medicine, uh, which is great actually, that will capture it or attempt to apply, you know, uh, nutrition sooner. But the way our healthcare system is structured, the way in which to really move things and really create something that is accepted widely and can be turned into some of these massive brands, right? In in the sense of not not necessarily consumery brand, but highly valuable medical brand, right? We got to go into those mainline doctors, right? Those ones every day that only got 10 hours of nutritional training in med school, right? Those and getting them to say, oh, wow, okay, I'm noticing this particular product line or this particular approach and it makes sense to me and I'm going to adopt it. And now I'm going to start telling my, I wouldn't say, shouldn't say patients, but maybe the family members of people who have neurodegenerative diseases. And they'll say, look, hey, there is something you might be able to do. Actually, here's something you can do. So that that's sort of a wall. We're going to bust that down. You know, got to go big, right? Got to yep. go big. We're going to bust it down. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I wish you much success in this year. I know you're in the middle of, uh, you know, capital raise. Yeah. <laughs> much success with that. And just thank you for coming on in the program. It's a real pleasure to get a chance to meet you. I really appreciated the conversation and learned a lot and excited to now a customer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much, Doug, for for everything you do here, Western Nevada, Nevada in general. I mean, just cultivating and building out the whole entrepreneurial ecosystem and and supporting us. It's it's greatly appreciated. Thank you for the recognition. It's uh, entrepreneurs are my people. And so I got to do everything I can. But good luck to you. Thank you again. All right. Thanks so much. 